Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are less than two weeks from Christmas. In most years, we would know exactly what the next couple of weeks would be like. It would be all about those final preparations before Christmas Day rolled around. But this year in 2020, things are different. And with Christmas less than two weeks away, we're still not 100% sure how we're going to be celebrating this holiday season because of the coronavirus. But what we've been trying to remind you of at Melbourne Heights throughout this Christmas season is that Christmas isn't about how we celebrate. Christmas is about who we celebrate. So all month long, we have been exploring different stories that lead up to the birth of Jesus to see what they tell us about who our God is. And this week, we're going to be exploring the story of Jesus's earthly father, a man named Joseph. So let's get right into this week's episode. Well, Christmas is now less than two weeks away. In most years, we would know exactly what the next couple of weeks would be like. In the weeks leading up to Christmas most years, we would be finalizing plans with our family about how we're celebrating the holiday. So we'd be talking about who was bringing what to Christmas dinner, or who was staying overnight and where they'd end up sleeping. Or maybe we would be finishing up the last of our Christmas shopping, making sure that we had every present purchased and that we had time to get every one of these gifts wrapped before we hit the road on Christmas Day. But like we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks here at Melbourne Heights, this Christmas isn't going to be a normal Christmas. This Christmas isn't going to be a normal Christmas. COVID-19 is still exponentially spreading across our country and across our state. In the first week of December alone, there were nearly 1.5 million people who tested positive for COVID-19 in our country. And more than 25,000 of those people are right here in Kentucky. And if these positive cases weren't bad enough, we've also seen COVID-19 contribute to the deaths of over 15,000 Americans and 200 Kentuckians in that same period of time. And because of this surge and the spread of this novel and potentially deadly virus, the CDC actually began recommending that we all postpone our holiday travel plans back on December the 2nd. So over the next couple of weeks, instead of finalizing our plans to see our family or our friends this year, we're all trying to figure out if we can actually celebrate Christmas without seeing our loved ones at all this year. And instead of finishing up the last of our Christmas shopping, we're trying to figure out if we can have everyone we love get together to open their presents on a Zoom call. And instead of getting ready for all of our regular Christmas celebrations, we're trying to figure out if we're even going to be able to celebrate Christmas at all this year. And since we're all wondering about how we can celebrate Christmas in 2020, We've been trying to remind you every Sunday during the month of December that even though this Christmas isn't going to be normal, Christmas isn't canceled. Even if we can't celebrate Christmas the way that we're used to, Christmas isn't canceled. Even if we have to change all of our typical plans, Christmas isn't canceled. Even if we can't see any of our family or friends, Christmas isn't canceled. And Christmas isn't canceled because Christmas isn't about how we celebrate. Christmas is about who we celebrate. Christmas isn't canceled because Christmas isn't about how we celebrate. 
Christmas is about who we celebrate. So this Christmas, instead of wondering and worrying about how we can celebrate Christmas, well, I've been talking about who we get to celebrate at Christmas. And we've been doing this by taking a closer look at some of the stories that take place in the lead up to Jesus' birth. And the story that we're going to be taking a closer look at today, well, it comes from the book of Matthew. And just as a reminder for you here, the book of Matthew is an account of the life of Jesus. So inside of the book of Matthew, you're going to find stories about Jesus's life and Jesus's ministry and the miracles that he performed, as well as stories about his crucifixion and his resurrection. But right now, Today, we're focusing in on the story of Jesus' birth, and we're going to be looking at the part of the story about the man who will be Jesus' earthly father, a man named Joseph. But before we get into Joseph's story today, I want to try to help you see this story through his eyes a little bit better. And to help us do that, I have a question that I want to ask you. So here it is. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? And if you're worshiping with us on Facebook or on YouTube right now, why don't you go ahead and share your answer to that question in our comments thread. Tell us, what did you want to be when you grew up? Now, the truth is this question of what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, it's one of the quintessential questions that we all get asked almost as soon as we start speaking in complete sentences. And sometimes we get asked it even earlier than that. Like, I once heard a story about a little boy named Thomas, who told his mommy that he wanted to be an ooh-ooh-ah-ah-ah, which was his way of saying monkey, just in case I did a bad impression, before he could really talk at all. And it's a question that doesn't necessarily get any easier for us to answer as we get a little bit older. The truth is that the average American will change jobs between 10 and 15 times during their career. So a lot of us never know what we want to be when we grow up. And while the child's answer to this question can range from the silly, like when a seven-year-old boy named Jamie told his parents that he wanted to be a ninja chef when he grew up, to the sensible, like when a three-year-old girl named Dylan said that she wanted to be a big girl when she grew up, to the more sentimental, like when another three-year-old named Jamie said that he wanted to be a daddy when he got older there always seem to be a handful of answers to this question that would undoubtedly pop up on every playground in America. It seems that no matter where you go in this country, there are at least a few things that every kid dreams of being when they grow up, like being a firefighter. Because from a kid's perspective, being a firefighter, that's pretty awesome. I mean, just think about it. When you're a firefighter, you get to hang out all day long in a clubhouse with all of your buddies and a really cool Dalmatian dog. And when you need to go downstairs, you don't actually have to use the stairs. You get to slide down that awesome fire pole. And you get to play with the most powerful squirt gun in the entire world, and it never needs to be refilled. So when you throw in the occasional siren going off, well, a fire station is only a ball pit away from being like Chuck E. Cheese for grown-ups. Or, a lot of kids dream of being a princess when they grow up. Which, according to one six-year-old girl, means that you get to wear pretty dresses and you get to ride on ponies and everyone calls you your highness. And you get to eat cake all of the time and you get to live in a really, really big castle where no one ever tells you to make your bed. 
or a lot of kids dream of growing up to be a pilot, which basically includes the two most important things that any kid could look for in a job. It includes a really big machine and flying. Plus, if we've learned anything from TV and movies over the years, well, flying a plane involves a whole lot of button pushing and flipping switches, which makes being a pilot kind of like going to an arcade with wings. Or a lot of kids dream of growing up to be an astronaut, which kids either see as their chance to be a Jedi Master and show off their lightsaber skills, or as the chance to float around in anti-gravity doing somersaults while they're sucking down pouches of freeze-dried ice cream and tang along the way. And that's exactly the kind of nutrition that every astronaut needs when they're busy jumping around on the moon like it's just a great big bouncy house. But even if these things are the kinds of things that kids dream about becoming when they grow up today, well, these weren't the things that kids dreamt of growing up to be when Joseph was a little boy. For any little boy who grew up in Israel around 2,000 years ago, there was only one thing that they all would have wished that they could be when they grew up, and that's the Messiah. And why is that? Well, it's because these little boys had been told since they were in the womb that the Messiah would be a great political leader. He would come straight from the, from the lineage of Israel's greatest king, King David. The Messiah would be well-versed in Jewish law and observant of all of its commandments. The Messiah would be a great military leader who would help Israel win some great battles. And the Messiah would be a great judge, someone who always made the righteous and the right decisions. Essentially, growing up to be the Messiah would be like growing up to be Superman and the President of the United States all rolled together in one. And I gotta tell you, that does sound pretty cool. But for most of the little boys growing up in Israel, the hope of becoming the, the Messiah, what well, was little more than the innocent dream of a child. But for a kid who grew up in the hometown of David, someone whose family could actually trace their ancestry back to Israel's greatest king, these weren't just dreams. Becoming the Messiah, well, it actually seemed like it could come true for them. You see, it's been said amongst Jews that in every generation, a person is born who has the potential to be the Messiah, if only the timing is right. And in the Old Testament book of Micah, the prophet Micah tells us exactly where the Messiah will, will come from when it says this, As for you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you are the least significant of Judah's forces, one who is to be a ruler in Israel on my behalf will come out from you. His origin is from remote times, from ancient days. Joseph met these criteria. Joseph's family was from Bethlehem. Joseph was a descendant of King David. And as a child, Joseph couldn't help but imagine what it would be like to be the Messiah, what it would mean for him to follow in the footsteps of King David. So Joseph must have driven his mother nuts, running around the house all the time, swinging a slingshot above his head, pretending to be David as he slayed the giant Goliath with nothing but that slingshot and a few small stones. 
And whenever Joseph would have gotten together with his brothers or his cousins to play, they must have engaged in some epic imaginary wars where each boy would have taken their own turn pretending to be Israel's king, defeating the Philistines. But eventually, even the most passionate dreams of our childhood give way to the reality of being an adult. No matter how cool a job may have seemed when you were a kid, well, there just aren't too many of us who grow up to actually become princesses or pilots. So instead of becoming astronauts, we become accountants. And instead of becoming firefighters, we become employees of the federal government. And the same thing would have happened to Joseph. Eventually, the dream that he might be the chosen one of God would have given way to the reality that Joseph was a carpenter's son. So instead of taking up a sword to lead Israel in battle against her enemies, Joseph would take up a saw and build the tables that the Israelites would share with their friends. But even though Joseph eventually realized that he wouldn't be the long-awaited Messiah, Joseph would have still expected to live a good life. He would have dreamt about having a good job and a wife and kids. And when we first meet Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, he's well on his way to living out this new dream. Joseph was engaged to be married, with his dreams of starting a family any day. But Joseph was about to learn something big about following God. So let's take a look at Joseph's story. It's found in Matthew chapter 1, and we'll start reading in verse 18. So here's what Matthew writes. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. Now, since we know how the rest of the story goes, it's kind of hard for us to put ourselves in Joseph's place. But I want you to try to do that right now. I want you to try to imagine what it would be like to go to visit your fiancé when you hadn't seen each other in weeks or maybe even in months. Now, as you arrive at their front door, a million thoughts would be running through your mind about how you would spend your time together. Maybe you'd be planning on heading out for dinner and a movie. Or maybe you'd planned a great big picnic at your favorite spot. Or maybe you just want to sit around the house on the couch next to each other and spend some quality time together. But as soon as the door opened up, all of your plans went flying out the window. This moment that you had been dreaming of for weeks had turned into a nightmare in an instant. And this person, this person who only moments ago you desperately wanted to spend the rest of your life with, has done something so awful that you can't even stand to look at them anymore. That's the position that Joseph finds himself in. When he finds out that Mary is pregnant, Joseph doesn't automatically assume that she is somehow carrying the child of God. Joseph assumes that she's been unfaithful to him before they even said their I do's. And rather than waiting around for an explanation or even attempting to try to believe that his fiancé was somehow carrying the Son of God, I imagine that Joseph must have stormed off and that he was determined that he would never see this woman again. And the truth is, 
Joseph didn't have to ever see Mary again. According to the Jewish law, Joseph could have turned Mary into the authorities, and she would have been killed for being found to be pregnant before she was married. But that's not what Joseph does. No, Joseph still cared about Mary, and he couldn't stand to see her harmed, regardless of how badly she had hurt him. So instead of demanding justice, which the law said was Mary's life, Joseph makes the decision to be gracious. He decides to end their engagement quietly. But that didn't mean that the matter was settled. As a matter of fact, by ending their engagement instead of turning her over to the authorities, Joseph was actually claiming responsibility in the matter. So everyone would have believed that Joseph was the one who had got Mary pregnant before their wedding day, even though Joseph had absolutely nothing to do with it. And Joseph would have been left to pay the price for that. Joseph still would have had to pay the dowry that he had agreed upon with Mary's father. Plus, Joseph would have had to pay any legal fees or penalties that went along with what he had done. But Joseph had made up his mind, and he was willing to pay that price. But that didn't mean that what he was going through was any easier either. When Joseph showed up to visit Mary that day, he felt like he was part of a family. But when he left, he felt alone in the world. When Joseph showed up to visit Mary that day, he felt overwhelming love. But when he left, he felt betrayed. When Joseph showed up, he thought that he knew who Mary was. But when he left, he could only think of the accusations against her. When Joseph showed up that day, he was overcome with joy. But as he left, he was tormented with pain. In the matter of moments, Joseph went from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. And along the way, Joseph felt the full weight of everything that is wrong with our world. You've been there too. In one moment, you were walking down the aisle to marry the person of your dreams. And in the next moment, you found yourself filing for divorce. Or in one moment, you felt strong enough to leap tall buildings in a single bound. But in the next moment, you felt too feeble to safely walk down the stairs. In one moment, you felt better than you have ever felt in your entire life. And in the next moment, you hear dreaded words like cancer or dementia. In one moment, you were preparing for a huge holiday celebration. And in the next moment, COVID-19 forced you to cancel all of your plans. We've all been there. We have all felt alone. We have all felt betrayed. We have all felt pain. But Joseph's story doesn't end with his pain. For you see, even in the midst of the lowest point of Joseph's life, God was still there. God was still at work. As Matthew goes on to tell us in verse 20, As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child that she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, 
he did just as an angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. Do you see what's happening here? Adam Hamilton explains it well in his book, The Journey, Walking Toward Bethlehem, when he writes this. At that very moment, when Joseph felt his lowest, God was at work in Mary's womb, doing the greatest thing God has done since the creation of the human race. God was orchestrating the birth of a Savior. Something amazing was about to happen, but Joseph could not see this yet. In the midst of Joseph's pain and his suffering, God was becoming one of us. And as a human, God would be able to experience the same type of pain that Joseph must have felt when he learned about Mary's pregnancy. And as the early church leader Gregory of Nazianzus has put it, that which was not assumed is not healed. But that which is united to God is saved. Or to put it another way for you, when God became one of us, God became capable of understanding our pain and our suffering. God became capable of knowing how bad it hurts to be betrayed. God became capable of knowing what it means to be isolated and alone. So Christmas tells us that God became one of us. Christmas tells us that God became one of us. And because God knows the pain that Joseph felt, and because God knows the pain that you and I endure every day, God is able to help us through it. But what awaits us on the other side of our suffering? Well, Joseph found that out when that angel appeared to him. On the other side of his suffering, there was new life and new purpose. And the same thing is true for us. So this Christmas, let us begin to understand what it really means to find that baby laying in a manger. Because it's about so much more than the simple nativity scenes that we see this time of year. It's about God becoming one of us to heal us of our pain, to save us from the brokenness of this world. And may we all realize that the greatest gift that we can give someone this Christmas is the gift of helping them through their struggles helping them to find new purpose and new life. After all, Jesus has shown us that that is the purpose of Christmas. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, you know everything that we have been going through this year. You know that this Christmas is going to be different and that we're not going to be able to celebrate it the way that we'd like to. So right now, God, we're hurting. We're suffering. Many of us are feeling isolated and alone. But God, the story of Christmas tells us that you know exactly how we're feeling right now. And you not only know how we're feeling, God, you want us to overcome these feelings. You want to help us make it through. So God, help us. Help us to endure this difficult season. Help us to make it through as COVID-19 forces us to continue to change plans. Help us to see the bright side, the future that you have for us, the new life, the new purpose that you've given us, and allow us to fulfill that purpose by being your hands and being your feet and helping those around us who are hurting too. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's episode has reminded you that God is always with you. God isn't just with you in the good times. He's with you in the bad times. God isn't just with you when you're on the mountaintop. God is with you when you're in the valley. God is always with you. Now, next week, we're going to continue talking about the fact that Christmas isn't canceled this year because Christmas isn't about how we celebrate. It's about who we celebrate. And next Sunday, we're going to be taking a look at the story of the shepherds and seeing what their story has to teach us about who our God is. So we hope that you'll come back and join us next Sunday when that episode drops. If you subscribe to our podcast, the next episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And if you haven't done this yet, let me encourage you to leave us a rating and a review. Your ratings and reviews, they mean a whole lot to us, and they help to spread the word about this podcast to other potential listeners. Now, I hope that you guys have a great week, and we will see you back here next Sunday for another sermon podcast.